six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, land rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Yeah, that's good yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect, perfect Look at, uh, uh, there he is So, so, so let's, let's, let's start that again The, the, this, this thing that you're doing which is you're just getting jacked i mean i I, when i when i when i say this thing you're doing it's getting jacked but i but for me like everything i do anything i read anything i watch usually becomes content which is what's going to happen today um so like Mm -hmm. in a sense like i'm in that mode right now i'm in glensploitation mode where it's like doesn't matter i'm like truman show at all times let's just put this all out in the world you're getting jacked but there's no way you're just going to get jacked and like not fucking you know maximize it right no definitely not I mean, I just published an essay for, or no, I just turned in an essay for Numero Berlin mm-hmm. uh, called ICAL, uh, which is an anagram for anabolics I have known and loved. Uh, it's a reference <laughs> to, which is a reference to Alexander Shulgin's tryptamines I have known and loved, TICAL. And nice. um, I mean, of course, botched chatification. Alex Beanstalk and I's conceptual rock and roll band was born out of my interest in all this stuff. And the video came out and I'm, uh, I kind of missed my peak for the video because um, I was like on a heavy, heavy bulk right mm-hmm. before we got commissioned for it. So I only had like two weeks to diet. So like, honestly, I wish like you're able to film it now because right now mm-hmm. I found a real fucking sweet spot. Like I am, I'm the leanest I've been since I was 26, you know, but unlike when I was 26, I have 20 more pounds of lean tissue yeah. on me. Um, yeah. Like I, I was in very good shape back then, but I had more like Bruce Lee look. Well, you're a runner too, right? Runner and a calisthenics guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's what will happen. Yeah. But I, but honestly, like it, it, it is like that's all true. I'm obviously going to turn anything into a, a bit of a show that I'm into. But that wasn't the original goal. The original goal was just to, um, you know, first of all, it was to, it was that I missed my fitness, mm-hmm. and then, and then like, and then as I started getting better and better again, the goal started like the goal just started going back. Like, I, you know, now I want to get strongest i've ever been now i want to look the sickest i've ever looked and now it's at the point where it's like i'm like i like like i said a year ago if i could get to 200 pounds lean that'd be great i'm already like i've already like smoked that so um like right now i'm like 195 but i have very little body fat like i'm showing veins like all day yeah Exactly. Um, yeah. But cool, I, I cool. found so, a real good cycle too. Like, oh, there you go. I was taking there you um go. yeah, yeah. I was taking uh Masteron uh earlier in the spring, which is great for like inflating the muscle, but it also makes you hold a shitload of water. 
um, and your face look puffy and shit. Uh, so I cut that one out. And right now I'm just on test and Anavar and growth hormone. Growth hormone is fucking unbelievable. I can absolutely totally understand why like athletes across the spectrum love this stuff because it is like truly performance enhancing. Makes your metabolism go through the fucking roof. Like I'll wake up like at four in the morning and it's like I was just doing zone three cardio for like an hour because I have like so much sweat dripping off of me. Like it just kind of puts your body in a zone where it's like constantly working and burning and like hardening. And uh, mm. so, yeah, I'm just kind of running those three compounds right now, keeping my food relatively medium-ish, like 2,200 calories a day. And maybe then I'll do like another heavy bullet fall. And the goal is I want to do one bodybuilding show at the end of all of this just to like knock it off my bucket list and really make people fucking see. Does that turn into a documentary, a pumping iron style documentary? That'd be really cool. Dude, we're fully fucking doing it. So like, yeah, first, um, first of all, we're going to do like, like um, a jokey kind of one, like where I can get mm -hmm. to practice the poses and whatnot. Sure. Uh, James, Fer James Ferraro and Zach Davis, who you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, they're going to put together like some like weird surrealist, like jock jams kind of music. And they'll play <laughs> the music and then I'll do like a, <laughs> and then like I'll that. do like a pose down and we can just do that at like a gallery or something. And then, Fuck um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then hopefully I can like do, um, do like a real show. Even if I, I'll, you know, I probably will lose, you know, these guys are insane and they're all, you know, a lot of them are going to be competing to be professionals, but I just want to like say that I did it and not get laughed oh, on yeah. stage, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I ran a, I ran a marathon because I wanted to run a marathon. I didn't think I was going to beat the fucking Kenyan thermometer build guy. Like, <laughs> like what the yeah. fuck? Hell no. Dude, I think I was yeah. on billboards. The you guy won the race. I was running by his billboards while he was already finished having whatever the fuck he ate after the race. Nothing probably like right after the race. I was looking at the billboard. The guy was like done already, but I'm like, fuck, I did it. You know, like <laughs> who yeah. cares? Well, it's yeah. so easy to have your standards warped by like the, the sports you engage with or whatever. Cause like, you know, people obviously coming up to me looking like shocked if they haven't seen me in like a year or whatever. And mm -hmm. they'll be like, Whoa, you look fucking crazy. And not, but I'll be like <laughs> in my head thinking like, I don't look like shit, dude, but I'm thinking about myself right. against like, Phil Heath and mm -hmm. you know Kai Green and Nick Walker and shit like yeah compared to those fucking guys but like the more I get into this kind of thing the more I realize it really is just uh, genetics number one yeah because you can take so as many drugs as you want but most mm -hmm. people hit a hit a ceiling with where they're how hard and how much muscle they're going to be able to carry. Yeah, and also legs. Things like legs are so hard. It's so hard to have like perfect legs unless you were just born like they're born with with the genes to have nice legs. Like I've seen so many guys yeah. that are in tip top shape are in insane shape, but their legs look like shit. Like they just do. I mean, their it's, calves it's, don't grow or whatever. Right. It's it's and but then you'll see the guy hasn't worked out in thirty years who's just calves are just fucking like just boulders back there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just. Yeah. I mean, it's just part I of the was, process. Mm -hmm. um I, i'm very i have crazy legs so that's cool but um the one thing that i 
the one thing you absolutely need if you're going to be an elite bodybuilder is the Christmas tree. So like if you don't have a stomach or a waist that's naturally smaller than your shoulders, you're not going to be a pro. Or if you do buy like some miracle, get your professional card, you're not going to be competing at the highest level. Just like, you know, because even there's guys like, you know, who have like no body fat on their frame, but still uh, don't have that, that look, you know, that like, that high, that like wide out flared lat with the small waist. And the flip side of that is, of course, the more you grow, the more your fucking waist grows too. So like, you really can't like reverse those genetics in any single way. Because every time you do squats, your legs are going to get bigger, but so is your fucking stomach, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a, it's not like an audio software where you can be like, let me mute this track. You know what I mean? While I, exactly. while I build this one. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not a yeah. DAW that you, that you have while you're, while you're lifting. I, I was wondering about, you went to the university of Arizona, right? Yeah. Now I feel like now you actually look like you did. Like you, you're in Arizona. You're an Arizona guy now. Like you look like you're from fucking Arizona now. Like it's crazy. I mean, there was some, uh, some of the frat dudes there were, one of the frats got kicked off campus actually because they were dealing in pills and anabolics. Nice. So, you know, some of those dudes were looking crazy. And um, I remember I used to go because I was a runner back then. So I'd see mm -hmm. um, I, I, I used to run around the campus. So the Arizona, University of Arizona campus is fucking enormous. Like one, one lap around the whole school, you've already done about three miles. <clears throat> mm hmm. Um, but I see this fuck, he used to drive me nuts, this little fucking, like, orange fuck, uh, with, he had his hair, like, perfectly spiked when he was running, and he was so competitive, like, every time he saw me, he would just, like, start sprinting ahead. Right, but right. this dude had, he had, like, if he, if he looked a little less retarded, he definitely had, like, a pro bodybuilder potential and as far i believe he was in the frat sae mm -hmm. was the name of the frat sigma alpha epsilon that got kicked off campus i actually rushed a frat and got into fiji or phi gamma delta they enjoyed mm. my um i rushed with my then uh, my high school best friend zach and we both got in i think they liked our accents and um shit like that but I, uh, I I think I wrote about this recently. I finally told my frat rushing story on safety propaganda. But like, I was like convinced that like the crazy hazing shit was like a thing of the past. Yeah. I was like, no, man. My dad kept like warning me. He's like, Adam, it's gonna go fucking bad. Believe me. Like, you know, you're just setting the 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 dumber shit you do is the more it's gonna catch up with you. And I was just like, nah, dad, nah, they fucking think I'm cool. And then, they, like, they, sure yeah. enough, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. once it went down, it was just, like, <laughs> it was fucking nightmarish. They spit the eggs. I was, I the one I, I went to, like, the, the, I guess it's a rush event, like when you're when you're about to join, like or like when they're trying to get new members in and like see if this is where you want to go. There was a night they were doing yeah. pledge week. There you go. They were doing like a um, my buddy, this guy named Steve, who like already he didn't have a shirt with sleeves at all. Like he cut all his shit like perfectly. He was already he was so <laughs> in white sunglasses, fucking you know buzz cut. Like he was 
he was already he was gonna join but he was like hey come with me and i was like yeah we'll get fucked up sounds good you know what i mean and we go there yeah. oh, okay bring the legs out i see you but the uh, um, uh the, the, yeah bring them out bring them out yeah hey that's fine i'm trying to up the views i'm trying to up the views on the channel if you're not watching on youtube you're missing a lot of adam right now um and uh jack, a lot of his jack mason is like logged on immediately <laughs> yeah yeah signal. yeah exactly and uh but anyways the uh the the this guy i saw these one guys were like yeah and then one of our events is like we've toned it down we've toned it down guys so if you join like the hazing's not that bad we just all spit eggs into each other's mouth and i was like nah man um but uh, this that's fucking gay dude i'm so i like i i don't i grew up an only child i like that brotherhood thing is like i have friends but i'm like i don't know that must have been like a it must have been a, a thing where if like you were craving brotherhood all the time, like I was just like, no, nah, I thought we were just going to party. Like <laughs> we were just, yeah, gonna I mean, that's stuff. the thing yeah. in retrospect. I kind of wish that I just went through with it as like a endurance ritual or like a human, like I do think that can be character building to an extent, but mm-hmm. um, I was just like, I was already such a, I felt so out of phase with fraternities. Like I didn't share any interest with these guys. I was already in that school and like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, like, mm-hmm. um, but they, they, you know, they paid half my tuition. It was warm and sunny. So that's where I went. But um, yeah, I dropped out like immediately after it went bad. So did Zach, my friend. Um, but you know what they did do? Uh, their like ultimate hazing, like final ritual is uh, the elephant walk. Not familiar. You're not familiar with the elephant. I don't. Walk. I don't. I, I know a crab walk and a bear walk, but I do not know an elephant walk. All right. So, uh, just to set this up, like the picture, the Fiji house was like an absolute crazy palace, five million dollar house, right across from the campus police department. So that just kind of like emphasizes the fact that this is all like an open secret, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So the elephant walk is like right before you're finally initiated into the frat and they didn't really make much of a secret of it they even had like a t-shirt that said fiji we walk the walk with like an elephant on. <laughs> yeah hell <laughs> so yeah so the elephant walk is like they strip the pledges naked and then the pledges have to like grip each other dick by dick so like one hand uh, on the dick in front of you and then one hand on the dick in the back and your dick's getting grabbed by some dude. Mm-hmm. And they made you walk um, 400 yards. So four <laughs> rotations around the house courtyard. <laughs> yeah, well, they have like <laughs> sorority girls there and everybody's screaming at you. And then the, the worst part, as if this isn't degrading enough, if you are spotted to get even like minimum erect, uh, which you have to assume wouldn't necessarily make you gay because it's like a high right. stress situation and your dick's being fucking gyrated back and sure. forth as you're walking around. Sure. They kick you out immediately. Oh, really? I thought they would have made so you you're just fucking like, he- Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just like walking around in terror, just like, begging yourself to not like pump any blood to your fucking dick direction. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I knew this guy that I stayed friends with who was another pledge, Mike Funk. 
he was a great guy, but he would tell us just like, you know, they're supposed to be sworn to secrecy, but of course they never are. And he would just be coming back being like, you have no idea what you guys missed tonight. Tonight they, they let me punch out the brother who gave me the, the most shit in the entire house, but they didn't tell me if I did it. I'd have to get punched by him back, and he has like a huge black eye. Black. <laughs> um, but like, I get it at the same time. Like, if you have to endure that shit to get in, and then you're like told that the the next kids don't have to do any of it, that's like an injustice in and of itself. So I think that's just how the tradition of it perpetuates itself. I I also think that there's like a weird I I don't I think blackmail's too strong but like you know a lot of people join frats to get jobs in a you know you might there might be oh, some yeah. that'll be in financial like, propel people into the financial things it helps you in the hiring process you put that on your resume there might be another guy so if you so if you did the elephant walk did everything that did it right and then you you apply at a company where another guy did the elephant walk you might know that that like my secret's safe with you brother you know at this job like you're Absolutely. not going to you're not going to participate in my me tooing you're not going to do like at the, in the financial district so there is like a weird epstein level political blackmail kind of thing yeah. like i just might maybe like a like a bond forged you know what i mean like yeah. just, well, i guess and is, frats but, are like they they're coolest when you think of them as like actual still existing secret societies right like mm -hmm. that's that's yeah. kind of what they are they're these elite groups and um like if i stayed in fiji wouldn't have any certainly wouldn't have any bearing on the on the life that i ended up choosing but if i did decide to like get good at finance or whatever i could have gotten fucking hired anywhere in goddamn la san francisco wherever you know they were huge 100%. yeah and, that, and, and they, i remember yeah. them telling us that like and um and a lot of the kids were like you know they were party animals but these weren't like dumb kids these were like really smart like a student types in this frat high achievers that um but it was funny too. There were also the legacies and shit like, and the legacies were always the biggest like losers that had to get led into the, it was, I don't know. It was an interesting month, but I was the one like, dude, I was, as you can probably imagine, I was already like a total maniac when I was 18 years old. So when all the uh, hazing rituals started, what happened is they invited us over for a quote unquote alumni dinner. Um, mm -hmm. And then when the pledges got to the dinner line, they ran out of food and everybody was like, what the fuck? How do you run out of food? <laughs> so then they introduced us to our alumni speaker, who is very clearly not an alumni, but, but like a 22 year old, ultra fucking yoked, thick neck, brolic fucking white dude from San Diego. And uh, <laughs> my image of this are so kind of blurry but like he comes out and he's just like you know veins pulsating he is so amped to get this shit going and all i remember is um he starts like giving this spiel but like very like hostile and all of a sudden he goes this fraternity was built on several values brotherhood honor integrity yada 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 but best of all in my personal fucking favorite humility now all you freshman faggots get your fucking heads on the table and next thing you know you just feel smacked and your head's getting cranked and then they're like 
Dude, so then they start dousing us with condiments, which for me is fucking torture because I hate like mustard and mayonnaise and shit, and they are covering me in it. And then he starts calling out all of us for all our various like transgressions over the last month. And I had like several. I had broken a bomb. I had made out with one of the brother's girlfriends. I had done blow with three seniors who ratted me the fuck out. Like, it just went on and on and on, dude. Like, so, um, yeah, it sucked. There was, this one, <laughs> there was this one guy, Billy Smith, that I always remember. He was this, like, chubby, like, really drunkard type. And uh, he's just like screaming his head off. And he's like, somebody get me a fucking bowl of fucking cereal. And I'm like, well, what do you want? He goes, cinnamon toast, motherfucking crunch. Oh, and God. I go, all right, all right, I got you. And then I get, I give him the cereal. And then he just takes it and fucking pours it on my head like that. And he goes, I didn't say cinnamon toast crunch. I said honeycombs, you fucking idiot. Like, it was nuts, yeah. dude. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not for me as well. Um, that's not for me either. That doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. I got too much of a fucking mouth for that shit. And um, oh but, yeah, and that's the thing. You yeah, cannot yeah. talk back yeah. at all. It just makes it so much worse. Probably preps you for the workplace a lot better. Every job's gonna be easy as fuck if you oh, can do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> it's like boot camp, man. It's definitely like a hardening experience because it's like five months of just not eating, barely sleeping trying to keep your grades up and just like enduring fucking hell oh my god so um we're gonna get you right back to the episode but i just wanted to let you guys know of a few other things we offer at rare candy industries we have a Substack with free and paid subscription options free subscribers get access to all written content that includes bob's red pill that's the best thing going on the internet right now trust me paid subscribers get full access to our premium episode feed and that's just every episode we don't necessarily want to share with the general public, if you know what I'm saying. Again, that's rarecandy.substack.com. We also have merch. That link's a little long for me to say right now, but go to the description, go to our merch store, and find a shirt that's right for you. We have Rare Candy shirts, Dr. Bronner soap label shirts, Rishi mushroom shirts, all types of stuff there. Check it out. There's got to be something for you. And lastly, check us out on social media. On Instagram, we're Rare Candy Pod, but on Twitter, we're at Rare Candy Pod one All right, enough of that. Let's get you back into the episode. Today, the reason I, I brought you on is because I could tell I listen, I listen to System of Systems uh, um, when you have new episodes and stuff. And it, and it comes out and it says, uh, I, I could tell that you've been <clears throat> referencing Tarantino's book, but like no one's read it. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Like no one, yeah, like, just like, like me, no, you, and Alec. I think. Yeah, I, a couple of uh, of um, guys. I think you know Matt Fresta, uh, Rango Tango yeah. Magazine, like guys like that. Like they've read it and stuff. But like a lot of like, I, I it, it seemed like a book that I thought everybody had read. I found out about it from you, and then him doing the press hits on all the big like Tom Segura type podcast. Rogan, he was doing all these types of hits, but not nobody read it. It's called Cinema Speculation. And uh, it was an awesome, it's an awesome read. The problem is, is I think everybody thought, and I remember asking, telling my wife about the book because I wanted her to get it for her father or for her uh, stepdad for, for, um, for his birthday. I was like, get it for him because he's like just such a big movie history inside baseball kind of guy. And so she got it for him. She goes, does he talk about the feet at all? I was like, no, he doesn't (laughs) talk about the fucking foot fetish. And that's all they want to know about Tarantino, right? 
they want to know yeah. about why there's so much blood everywhere why there's uh uh which he, i guess he does get into there but i mean you can why, infer that from this book for sure 100 percent. you and you can also infer the, the racial stuff from the book too because he gives himself a pass yeah, the entire book because of his his old black friends that were fucking his mom mom's <laughs> black boyfriends his mom was getting yeah, i really like that detail. yeah it's so um, funny it's so funny it's such a good book i actually listened on audio and then i bought a hard copy just to look back it's a fun one you could just go back and read like a chapter at a time especially because it's divided by movie but i listen on heart he pops in from time to time on the audio book like he doesn't do the whole book but every all the ones that involve his black friend he cops in and does the chapter so it's really funny you know what i thought was interesting about that though is like he um because he does do the, like, he talks in Ebonics and shit when he gets, like, excited and whatnot, and people always sort of clown him for it. But I think he actually does have, like, um, a genuine comfort around black people sure. that uh, yeah. most liberals don't identify with. So, um, like, it's not coming from, uh, it's not coming from, like, this try-hard place. It's just, like, yeah. he really doesn't think about it. He's sort of interested in black culture. and uh, Dude. There were he was being taken to Jim Brown movies and like w- like Superfly yeah. when he was like nine years old. You, that's all you know. That's all you, I grew up in a super diverse like went to like schools that were predominantly Mexican, like a, a lot of like you know African and stuff like that. And I just was like I thought you could just and like there were like there was a there were like rules because it was just somebody would say hey that's fucked up don't say that like that would be the that would be the it wasn't like a teacher teacher it was just like somebody would face to face be like hey man don't don't talk like that around me and so like there was this weird regulation but then the minute i got to the internet or even college and stuff there were people that constantly said like like oh actually you can't do that and you can't do this and that but what tarantino does so well is that he never acknowledges that that's against the rules ever not once in the book that anything that he does people might hate this people might say that this what i'm saying is racist he never ever says anything about that in the book which i love he pretends that it's i mean 1997 he pretends it's 1997 when he's doing this book i mean i've always admired the way he dealt with this shit like Mm -hmm. you know when spike lee took him to task for um, saying the n-word so much in his movies he, he literally said on Howard Stern Spike Lee can shut the fuck up and honestly a racist person wouldn't say that a racist mm-hmm. person would be like falling on their face to cover their ass right so mm-hmm. Tarantino still sees uh, he sees Spike Lee as an equal as a, a peer and as a peer he's telling him to shut the fuck up like you're wrong um, do you know the MMA fighter Sean Strickland? I've heard, heard the name. I don't know about him. He's a this hilarious, hilarious, um, like real redneck fighter. Got hurt a couple years ago, but has been on a tear recently. He's fighting great again. Um, but he was an actual neo-Nazi skinhead as a teenager, mm-hmm. and claims to have overcome his racial hate through <laughs> fighting through yeah, being probably. trained by and with black guys uh, and being friends with black guys now um you know libtards would say like oh that's just an excuse you can still have a black friend and hate black people it's like i don't think so i know i don't think this is true at all yeah <laughs> yeah this like this like strickland and tarantino way of overcoming racial difference through like actual interaction and engagement is so much more authentic. And I think 
um, people are more heartwarmed by it than just enforced uh, racial discipline uh, on language and like behavior and whatnot. Because like, there's nothing actually more real than having sort of irrational feelings and overcoming those feelings through actual experience. Um, and that's why Tarantino was able to like, that's why he's able, that's why he can talk in Ebonics, you know, yeah. on the radio and it can be corny, but it's still forgivable and not, and kind of like funny and, and charming to an extent because it's not coming from any place of maliciousness. It's all, he, that guy is pure enthusiasm and, um, and excitement. You know, yeah, and he can riff with the me- he could riff with the best with them. Yeah. He could riff with anybody who would ever say like, "Yeah, you could talk like that, but do you even know what that movie's from?" Yeah, he knows what that movie's from that he's that he's quoting because yeah. he's seen it like 80, 85 times. Like like yeah. in different theater, he used to go to movie. I mean, you want to talk about like I hate the, the way the term autism is thrown out there because it just means you're passionate about something and 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 all that. But the he, he would talk about like when he saw Rolling Thunder, right? Not a black movie at all, but like he would go. Or, or taxi driver, he would go to different neighborhoods where the demographic was different in L.A. and go watch the movie in that theater to see how the audi- what the audience thought was cool, like what the audience thought was dumb. And in Taxi, one of my favorite parts when he talks about Taxi Driver is they thought taxi- black people thought Taxi Driver was a comedy. Like they were just like laughing at, <laughs> at, at, at uh, Max Katie well, or whatever. Because he, he was saying like, yeah. what the, why you buy her that album? Every white bitch got that album already. Like, you know, like, like taking her to see the porno. He's nasty as fuck. Like, just like laughing, yeah. you know, like I just laughed. at. And I thought, I, like, um, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. When he's writing, I thought his insight about the choice, even though Harvey Keitel is phenomenal in that film. But um, the I white pimps were just like this total fake thing that like didn't actually <laughs> exist at all. And I don't think like, that's such an obvious like statement to make. Like I, I see pimps in New York all the time. I've never seen a white one. It's always some fucking mean looking black guy. Mm-hmm. But in a, uh, in taxi driver, we're supposed to believe that there's this like sophisticated kind of charming debonair pedophile pimp played by Harvey Keitel, white dude. And it works through the strength of the performances, but it's also like it kind of takes you out of the gritty realism of the film. Right. Someone who was any in any way anxious about uh, racial distinctions wouldn't have made that point. But Tarantino did it and was absolutely correct about it. I mean, this is a he kind of is. He is the ultimate, like, Gen X liberal. He, mm-hmm. he is, like, the, the post-racial 90s liberalism incarnate, where these sorts of anxieties and things just kind of fade away, and we can all acknowledge that there is differences, but that they're okay. So, you know, kind of engaging with his work honestly feels, even though he has always been at the cutting edge or whatever, it also feels kind of, like reading this book made me feel like I was a, like reading Rolling Stone magazine in the early nineties again or something, you know, it just reminded me of a world that we lost. Yeah. It doesn't feel like 1972. Like, like a lot of people want to return to a time like, Oh, 97. No, it feels like 1997 or two, even 2002. Yeah, like absolutely. just reading like a, an honest, depiction of something not malicious not uh trying to prove any point it's just look this is what happened and and it's funny what you said about uh 
about like yeah the, the black pimp and stuff and and like somebody and then also the the, the spike lee thing because spike lee has made a career of look i actually i actually don't hate spike lee's movies i actually love i love i love he got game i just not all of them anyways no, no, he has some. Yeah, stinkers. I listened to your guys' show on. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking love. And I he like got he game. got game a lot too. It's a great, but then also the, but like Spike Lee has always made a career of you know, and Tarantino would understand this too as a critic because he's a, he's very much a critic. But like Spike Lee has made a career of going after white directors for not making the movie that he probably should just go ahead and make himself. You know, like Absolutely. like Clint Clint Eastwood has had I forget what the Clint Eastwood I think Heroes of Iwo Jima. He had a really, really tough time with Heroes of Iwo Jima because he said you didn't depict all the black people that were saving Iwo Jima. Now, I'm not a World War II, you know, or whatever that even is, whatever war that even is. But like, I'm not even uh, I'm not even it's World like, War II, I, right? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Japan, I, but but what I mean is Japanese, like I, Japanese World War Two. Yeah, but Clint Eastwood just said, why don't you just go make the movie then? Why don't you just go make your version of that movie? I won't be mad. I'm not going to come to your movie and say you got it wrong. But if you feel so passionate about that, why don't you why don't you just do that then? Because like that's yeah, that's just and that and again, that's another guy who look, let's Clint Eastwood's from a time where he he's probably dropped the hard R from time to time. I'm not going to. I, oh, I, I, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I but I don't I don't think he was supporting the clan. I don't think he was doing shit like that. Like, I think he was just like you know, old, old timey. I was born in 1925 or whatever. Like, yeah, probably racist, nah, but he wasn't, he was definitely not for the clan. Yeah. Yeah. He was just, he was just one of those guys where he was like, but, it, but he would have, like I said, he would have said, damn, I got, I got to cover my footsteps. I got to apologize to Spike Lee. Cause I don't want him to find out all the other shit I do wrong with Tarantino. It's all there. He's like, everything I do wrong is on screen. So you can just critique my movie the way I critique everybody else's movie. And then we can all just it's like almost like a good he almost assumes everybody operates in good faith just like he does, which is I think is refreshing. Yeah. And people take him to fucking task all the time for like, mm-hmm. because you know, his formula is essentially a very simple one, but it's also very elegant. It's like take genre films that he grew up with and mm-hmm. elevate them into their like prestige Hollywood films. That is the that's what all these movies are you know, to an extent, some more yeah. than others, some work better than others. But I just find that criticism, like, it's not that, it's just saying what the films are. It's not right. really a criticism because those movies are fucking entertaining. And every time Tarantino puts something out, everybody goes and sees it. Who else still is able to, like, he's making movies that cost 80 to $100 million that shows happily pay for it that every A-list fucking star in the world is dying to be in and that everyone goes and sees in the theater. So I'm at like, I've talked about this before, but whether you have problems with any of these guys, Tarantino, P.T. Anderson, Wes Anderson, Mm -hmm. Fincher, whoever, any of these fucking guys, and you can make small gripes with all of them, I have issues with some of them. I'm not a huge Fincher guy, whatever. But when cinema as a form is dying and you have this like last line of defense of guys who know how to finance and make a, a, a work of film art on a mass scale to be received to by a mass audience, you should support them. You shouldn't like endlessly fucking gripe about what you don't like about the fucking movie. At worst... You can just not see it. Um, yeah. 
But out of all those guys, like how the fuck, like I don't get the Tarantino hate because none of his movies, even the worst ones, aren't fun to watch. Like, like they're yeah. all movies made to be like rewatched over and over. And, and I have, I have every single one of them. I watched them twice. Yeah. I think at least, <laughs> I think every single yeah. one of them. Yeah, exactly. At least, at least twice, and then some like Pulp Fiction or Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think I've watched like over ten. With people, you take them to new people too. Like that's I, I like Zoller did that for me, but Zoller doesn't have the doesn't have the the mainstream appeal that Quentin Tarantino does. But like I I take a Tarantino movie to somebody who like maybe hasn't seen it before, you know, or or have only seen a couple of them, and I'm I'm like watching them watch the movie. It's like one of the I want to know what they think. I want and like we don't have those people anymore because for one. Even if somebody is rushing out to go see the movie, it's usually the a franchise that they're wanting to go see. Star Wars, Marvel, you know, any of these things. They want to go see this director take on that franchise or whatever, you know, and, and it's very Reddit, yeah. very annoying and stuff. And and most of the time people do hate it. It's weird. Everyone goes and sees it, but everyone's hypercritical of it. But Tarantino, yeah, everybody ends up liking it. It's the same pool of 2% of people that hate it that nobody listens to. They don't have any any clout in the world like either like it's never yeah. anybody like, actually matters that hates it it's always like some guy who you know some random jezebel journalist or something that just just nobody will remember their name ever unless you're hyper online yeah. um nobody will remember that whatsoever but like then also you know in in this book i or i actually another thing i wanted to talk to you about because i was trying to formulate this opinion of what tarantino is to me and why i like him so much and two things i i think I think people need to be proud again to like actually admit that they're influenced by something like like not even and not even to the point of like I appreciated this when I was a kid be like no 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 this is in my work like this is actually yeah. in my work and Tarantino will spill out every he'll he'll drop the like damn recipe for his movies he doesn't care like it's like this is peck and paw you know uh mixed with uh you know whatever the whatever other movie but he's also and which makes him somewhat of a collage artist i think and i know you have a history with collage art and i have a history with sample based sample based beat making which is the same thing and um just in audio format where it's i don't know if collage art in the in the visual art community is actually looked down upon as like a lesser art but sample based beat making is amongst somebody who can like play a guitar you know like like a guy that can play a guitar will be like okay but you're just taking a guitar or whatever from from whatever record and putting it over drums it's like okay but it sounds sicker than your shit like right. it sounds sicker people enjoy it more and i think tarantino his willingness to kind of give up the recipe a little bit because he knows you're not going to make it better than him most of the time so he's, he's not worried about yeah. his intellectual property ever being uh i just think of him as a, as a sample based like hip-hop producer to me is like how i think of his movies you know yeah and it's uh especially like in the music argument it's particularly dumb because it's just like trying to make some modernism versus postmodernism mm-hmm. argument. But even music made with traditional instrumentation now is mostly postmodern just because it's really, mm-hmm. nobody's like inventing new genres anymore, new styles or whatever. Um, but yeah, Tarant, you know, Vincent Gallo is the first one who sort of wrote and, uh, and, you know, loved Vinnie Gallo. Uh, much loved him. Um, he's he's the first person who kind of derided Tarantino as a collage artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, fu- I I he is a collage artist. I fully admit that I'm also a collage artist, whether I'm writing a book or whatever. Just because, yeah. like, if you came up of a certain generation where you're constantly internalizing content, then it shapes how you think. But that's just like letting yourself 
that's like giving yourself over to the time that you're in. And um, and Tarantino is like part of a he's there's still a historicity behind it. Like Godard is the same thing. Godard was a film critic who really fucking loved American thriller movies like Hitchcock, and you know sort of jizz them into a, a little French avant-gardist sensibility. And there you have the French New Wave. Tarantino's references are, of course, different. Um, he's, you know, for one, he's openly said he doesn't like Hitchcock, which I find crazy, but whatever. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, he says he likes, he likes Gus Van Zandt's Psycho more than, more than Hitchcock's, I think was one of his, like, more ridiculous takes. Um, but, um, but yeah, he is doing, he's doing pastiche, but ultimately the way the movies function, it, it's, it's an elevation of the genre signifiers that he's referencing. So he's very much a part of the studio system. He is making movies to be considered for award season mm-hmm. with high level movie stars, you know? But within that, he sort of breaks down the references to B-movies, Westerns, or uh, genre thrillers, exploitation, whatever. Um, yeah. And by doing that, he, he's obviously creating his own aesthetic, but he's also forcing an engagement with a, a side of film history that is often ignored. And... Um, Dude, like, there's one thing that I just, like, absolutely love about Tarantino, which is that, uh, like, his eye for detail is unreal. Like, the mo- sometimes the moments that, like, really sit with me, that really blow my mind, are the ones that don't go recognized as such. Mm-hmm. Like, Uma Thurman and John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, they have their sort of, like, awkward drugged out date at the mm. Jack Rabbit Slim's restaurant and she wants to dance on stage. Now Travolta is so good in this part that you almost forget that he's John Travolta, the greatest fucking white boy dancer in the history of the goddamn right. world. So when he gets on stage and he starts dancing and you're instantly like, Holy fucking shit. It's like he's so much better at moving in that sequence than is actually like necessitated for the role. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's so great makes you remember this is John Travolta, fucking Saturday Night Fever. This is the goddamn guy. So he, yeah. so Tarantino's like simultaneously creating this like super iconic moment, but also whispering at the greatness of this actor who people have largely forgotten about at least at the time. He was a has-been at the time. He was a straight-up yeah. has-been. I mean, it was like yeah. I, to the studios when when they wanted that film to be made, uh they want the studios were like it's not going to be Travolta and Tarantino says, "Well, this movie does not get made unless I get Travolta for this." And they wanted uh, the studios I believe wanted Kurt Russell in the part, which love Kurt wouldn't have worked. Just does it just wouldn't have worked. I I he's a great great actor, but it's just I, the fact that he needed it because he because Tarantino, if he's a stan of anybody, it's De Palma. You know what I mean? He like absolutely loves De Palma. He loves Blowout, and uh, and that was I, I I'm trying to remember after Blowout what Travolta's last hit would have been before Pulp Fiction. Oh, um, is not the, what what would it have been? 
he definitely did a few more movies throughout the 80s. Hold yeah, on, but he was struggling. He was not. He he, he, he wasn't he was struggling. He was, yeah. He wasn't drawing shit at the box office, like as a, as a lead, you know, it wasn't, it was definitely, uh, this was definitely a revival and he was a little heavier, you know, he looked a little heavier in the role. Like he was definitely not the, uh, the, the svelte kind of, you know, Travolta of the seventies though. He still looked really cool in the movie, of course, in, in Pulp Fiction, but just the, the, his idea of like, at the, at the time you're, you're this guy who's living on borrowed time because you sold a script for like true romance and shit like that and, and you're just this blockbuster employee or wherever video store he worked uh, at uh y- you know you just uh, wow, but then you have the goal to, what's that dude travolta had no movies between 85 and 89 mm-hmm. and then he had two in 89 one in 90 two in 91 one, one in 93 and not one of these fucking movies I even recognize. I'm telling so, you. Yeah, Tarantino like fully revived his career. It's blowout, right? I mean, it's essentially blowout. It's like his la- it's it's like the movie that <laughs> that is uh that's like probably the last hit or I don't even know if blowout was I mean, I'm yeah, sure it was a hit, but, but yeah. it, it probably wasn't. I mean, after blowout, he took 82 off and then and in 83 was staying alive, which is the Saturday Night Fever sequel that no one has ever seen. No. Including myself. No. And I've watched Saturday Night Fever like 50 fucking times. <laughs> Fuck no. Yeah. No. Exactly. And so, you you know, the idea that I, I just, I love that that part of Tarantino so much. And also, so, you know, another thing that he's, uh, well, the, well here, here's the other thing that he does in this book. And you, you, you mentioned it a little bit too, is why, the reason I think of him as a sample-based hip-hop producer in a sense is that like not only is he going to make a great song that has like a melody like hum where's where's that from where where is that th- I, maybe maybe that is from an old western movie that that kind of scene that i've seen or, or something but also like like a producer like there's a there's a drum break called impeach the president by the honey drippers it's in ev- it's in almost every 90s rap song it seems like or some iteration of it or something do you know how many records that impeach the president sold when it was a, a song fresh on the charts not jack shit I don't believe I'm not going to look yeah. it up, but I, it was not a hit. It was not a hit song, but it was an exposed drum break. And look, maybe they got fucked a little bit on, on the royalties. But there are a lot of nerds, me, who went and bought that record on vinyl. You know, I don't know about their recording situation, how much money they made off my sale off that. Probably not much. But that being said, I found out about that through that. And I, I look, I, I don't know that I watched The Wild Bunch Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm new to being a film guy, like, or at least watching yeah. a lot of films. I don't know that I go watch the wild bunch without Tarantino. I don't know that I do. So it's like, but then I immediately see Tarantino in the film, but I respect them as two awesome things. And I, I see like a lineage rather than copying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, even, and even when he does copy, it's still very interesting in the way that De Palma was like copying Hitchcock. Hitchcock yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't, I don't think any of this shit is an issue if ultimately the, the product works, you know? So, I mean, and Tarantino does a lot of cool things too. Like, like Pulp Fiction, which I 100% believe is every bit as good as its legacy suggests. Yep. Um, you know, like the soundtrack of that movie, he wasn't really familiar with that kind of music, all those great surf, surf rock tracks and lounge music and Tropicalia. So actually uh, the music advisor on that film was Boyd Rice, uh, the wow. industrial, mu- 
industrial music music. I didn't know that. <laughs> now is like, yeah, yeah. Because now Boyd is like persona non grata for his politics. So it's like sort of buried in the lead when you read about the history of the film. But Boyd talks about it all the time and like, you know, talks about meeting Tarantino and at first being apprehensive because Boyd is this sort of like underground um, purist and meeting Tarantino, he thinks, like, Who, who's this Hollywood dick? You know, how much is he going to pay me? But meeting him and he's like, no, he was just like the coolest, funniest, smartest, uh, most enthusiastic guy he had ever met. And, um, and that Tarantino is one of those guys, even when he says retarded shit, it's always so likable, affable. Like, you know, he does, he's done all, all those like three hour interviews on Brett Easton Ellis's show. And he says tons of shit that I think where he's just trying to be like contrarian in that sort of like nineties mm-hmm. gen X kind of way, but it's never vindictive. It's never like snivelly, and and he makes me laugh. So I fully consider him like a kindred spirit in a lot. <laughs> Not sure he would consider me a kindred spirit, but I consider him one. Dude, let's fucking let's fi- let's find a way to talk to him. I'm gonna. That's a reason. I part of the reason I part of the reason I'm doing we're doing this episode is like there's like a little thing in the back of my mind. I'll be like, does any? He's probably never heard anybody talk about his book from our perspective. I don't think like at least this. But and like he's weird enough. He's weird enough to like somehow that could get in his hands. Like he's just like yeah. one of, like one. And he's like he's just such a nerd for all this stuff that like I think because I he went on Tom Segura's podcast uh, your mom's house and it wasn't tom's fault or anything but tom got the his tarantino's assistant didn't send him the book until literally the day before the interview oh, no. and so like when they start talking and they're riffing either tom segura will show him like videos of like asian guys getting run over by cars and stuff and like ha 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 you know they're funny but like tarantino's like so we're gonna talk about the book and stuff and and segura's like yeah i mean like i haven't read it yet and he's like what the fuck dude like but it's <laughs> You know, it's it's like and it's not Tom's fault He because he, he's a Tarantino super fan. Like he's like, I would have like even if even three days prior, it would because it's not that dense of a book, Uh, you know, three, three days prior, I would have done it. But it was literally the day before. And I'm also a fucking stand up comedian, you know, like I have a job and a podcast. So I so I just was laughing like, man, it would be so fun to just one day like have this reach him at, at some point. And uh, we haven't had we haven't said too many mean things about his mom yet. So or uh, no. a derogatory about his mom yet so that's that's good but i got no issues with his mom i think it's cool that she uh, uh liked fucking black guys no your thing like exactly and i love how like some of them clearly played for like the la rams too like 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 some of them were like actual like nfl guys yeah like, well and it's also like you can tell like you can tell i mean someone like tarantino doesn't really happen unless his like mom or whoever is encouraging his interest so um, she clearly gave him a space to just like be a nerd and to think and to read and to watch movies all the time. So she's probably a, a, a cool lady. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the time. The one thing I think he put in, and again, I'm I'm still more of a normie as far as like getting deep inside films and like the history of films but i do love the decade of the 70s i love late 60s up until the early 80s probably more than anything and i don't think that's a new hollywood i think most people do right i think that's where most people who get into movies 
like that stuff. But but he he breaks it down so good. So you know you have the late '60s, you have your easy riders, right? You have your your hippie kind of like fuck society, like uh, fuck all this stuff, like you know the World War II generation, like you know we're the we're we're the post you know baby boomer World War II generation. We're gonna we're gonna be the ones that fix this country because it's going to hell. Um, then you have the response of their parents essentially being like this country's going to hell because of the fucking hippies right and that's where you have tarantino one of the first movies that really blew his mind was joe which i just watched uh last night um uh uh, total uh, conflict between those two sensibilities absolutely and and you know it's funny the way it was billed to me was kind of like this reactionary movie which uh, of course it is i mean peter boyle's rant in the bar uh, i mean it's it's definitely uh it's definitely of that of that sort but there's also like just between like the, the, the one of the things i saw was like the enemy of your enemy isn't your friend that's like a huge exactly. thing that's a huge so, part and, of all this like that's and with, joe with the, with is per- like yeah joe is not a, a likable person in this movie he's not the hero he's like the fucking devil on the shoulder like fueling this uh well-meaning father's like reactionary sentiment you know it's um it's not like it's like the hippies are bad and joe needs to vanquish this fucking degeneracy it's like no this degeneracy isn't really good for society overall but also like you shouldn't like give in to your basest instincts and that's what joe represents he's like the fucking satanic little presence being like kill these little faggots kill these little fucking (laughs) you know yeah yeah exactly um, yeah, I hadn't seen Joe until I read this. I mean, yeah, same. It was just amazing. Like, and I'd seen it on Tubi, but it looked almost hackish to me. Like, like not even for like a seventies movie, but like it looked. You got a copy? Oh, is that Criterion? Yeah. Based? No, this is um yeah, just a, just a good Blu-ray release. Nice. No, I loved it. I I just, I, I absolutely loved it. But he, it was just, it's just funny. Like the the little scenes between like you know like i said enemy of your enemy is not your friend and, and that's very true and like especially when you're trying to be like an edgelord in life let's just say let's take violence completely out of it let's just say you want to say transgressive things then you fight so what you do is you say something and maybe you feel a little guilty about it maybe you're like damn that's not me that's me just kind of fucking that's me that's me emptying out the back of my mind and that doesn't necessarily we don't need a society where the back of my mind is, is for the public all the time and yeah. perhaps but then you look to find the one guy that's going to be like no nah, that was sick what you said actually that was tight even though i'm a fucking loser getting hammered in the bar uh yelling at my wife for putting fucking onions in the ground chuck you know other than that like you you know but but then you're like well you know what i need to find the guy that validates my bad behavior you know <laughs> it's yeah, like absolutely. The, wife, the wife chewing with her mouth open in front of the rich people and just talking with her mouth full of food and stuff like all those subtle details are so good in that and you see tarantino it's fun to watch when tarantino tells you about a movie it's fun to kind of see the tarantino elements of it the slow moving beginning right the slow kind of slow build up and then just the absolute rolling thunder-esque ending to it like it's great i mean what else is really interesting about joe is um it's a film you know it kind of defies auteur theory to an extent in the way that older movies used to Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the auteur of Joe is the screenwriter, Norman Wexler. Um, John G. Mm-hmm. Abelson, the director, mm-hmm. uh, um, he was more of like, he's like a, a, he's like a craft first, like handy mm-hmm. studio director. 
you know, so like Stallone picked him to direct the Rocky movie, but we all know that Rocky is Stallone's fucking movie. Right. Um, likely Joe is also Norman Wexler's piece. So like Norman Wexler, this like sort of uh, Jewish intellectual. And that's another thing. It's like, this movie's not written by like some fucking shit posting edgelord. It's written by basically like a fucking red scare communist, sixties uh, <laughs> hippie. So um, many of those are like that, dude. Cause like I would just finish uh, watching boys in Brazil. We just did an episode on the boys in Brazil and you would like, you know, I understand it's not, but it's like kind of, they don't hold back in some of the language there, but it's written. The book is written by like the most Jewish sounding name, Ira Levin of all time. Like, oh, <laughs> like Ira Levin is amazing, dude. Yeah. He's great. I mean, I want to read his, I haven't read his books, but anything that's been adapted has, uh, seems really fucking good. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm like fully, uh, I've, I'm becoming like Jewish supremacist these days. It's I'm tough really to argue with the catalog. Tough to, really tough to argue with the catalog, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but but you were saying you were saying uh, this, you know, how John G. Av- Norman Wexler was not; a, he was just kind of like a commie Jew, kind of. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think he probably did have complicated feelings about what was happening at the end of the '60s, and 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 Joe is kind of like a meditative piece. It's sort of like it's the first movie to really capture the hangover of the summer of love in a really sort of raw and violent way because you know, the, the sick, the hippies were no longer like experimenting with acid and making love. Like for every single kid, like making love in the mud on acid, there's like another girl getting fucking gang raped in the same scenario Uh, for every person experimenting with drugs. There's another person strung out on heroin and controlling people around him with drugs. And I have to say, don't know who that actor is, but whoever a whoever played um Susan Sarandon, the daughter's boyfriend, the fucking the junkie guy with, with his hair, like this weird hair that covers his eye. That's so Man, weird. <laughs> I have never hated someone more in my fucking life in a movie. So I think it's like a really memorable performance. And when the dad kills him, you are, in a sense, being like, fuck yeah, like, kill this yeah. piece of shit. Yeah. And with it his, kind of plays his, that intro. With his gross yeah. back, with the fucking mole. He had those moles on his back that look like shit splatter, like a spray fart all over his back. I was like, dude, exactly. everything about you is revolting, dude. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, the way it plays that is really, in- with, with that is really intriguing, because, like, um, this guy kills him in a moment of, of justifiable rage. And, um, but then like the aftermath, he of course feels he's a, he's mm-hmm. a human. So he feels the full weight of what he's done. But Joe gives him this like interesting relief valve where he can replace that guilt with this sort of like proud feeling. And that when you allow your conscience to be overridden by that sort of uh, violent id you end up like further and further down the road. And that's, what's kind of cool is the movie's called Joe, but, but he's not really the main character. He's no. just the, um, yeah, he's just like the devil. He's like the Iago of the movie. And he doesn't even really have the fucking balls to do anything himself. He's a fucking blowhard and is really only able to do violence by, by, 
you know, through, you know, by after being influenced by the main character who committed this violence in um, in a moment of anger. Yeah. So you know, it, it like Joe really is this kind of just like impotent fucking rage. Like you know, I have nothing against racist jokes and whatnot. I love them as much as the next, but we all know that fucking guy like Joe, who's just like this vulgar, yeah. rude piece of shit and you're just like dude shut your fucking mouth like it makes you want to just like put on a fucking blm t-shirt and like a pussy hat you know yeah it's it's unsettling like his rant his rant is like i expected to laugh and like the first couple lines i'm like ha 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 you know like that's funny and after a while you're the bartender the bartender's looking for any task I love the bartender in that scene. He's looking for literally any task he could do. Cause we've all been that guy at a workplace or something where you're like, I need to just go pretend I don't hear any of this. And like, I need to like, just, it's like a, you know, your own form of social distancing in a way or something. You just, just getting away. He's like shining every glass in the bar and Joe's going off. So people are going to go answer the phone, going to do phone calls, all this shit. And they're like, God, let me get away from this guy. But like you said, Joe is kind of like the I would have beat his ass guy. Like the guy when you tell a story about a bad situation you were just in and you're like, yeah, and I was on fucking here and I was like, you know, this guy was talking all this shit. And then he like grabbed my shoulder and like his yellow teeth were in my face. And I just like walked away and I was like, man, fuck that guy. And then they would have been like, well, I would have beat his ass. You're like, exactly. you never have like you never have even Joe's like war shit. Who knows if that was ever true? You know, like that people could come back from the war and said they did anything. Right. He pro- probably was. But, you know, it's it's you don't know if any of that stuff's true. And I like I said, you could watch it um, around that time. I, I grew up watching a lot of like TV from the 70s, but not a lot of movies. Um, uh, my grandpa always loved the show Dragnet, which was like really, really campy, like, you know, uh, boomer shit like essentially like or not even boomer before them uh, but there would be like same type of lighting like that weird psychedelic like lighting purple lighting inside like a, a gross shit stained heroin house and there would be like the premise of dragnet would be like oh these hippies they accidentally put their baby in the bathtub and the baby's dead you know like, <laughs> yeah, and it would just it would just good. be that the, yeah those those type of premises and all that stuff but joe is so much more real and like gritty and it's funny these are made at the same time how tv and tv which tarantino gets into a little bit how tv was just so much different than movies like it was just we've never had a difference i think tv i think tv's more edgier than our movies now Oh, like absolutely. you know as far, as far as gratuitous violence and stuff and and cursing you can you can cuss fx made it okay to just say fuck on tv I, apparently yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah, mean, like it's crazy the violence on tv now is like so excessive that it's honestly like too much at times like yeah like, to think like in irreversible that was like what 20 years ago now seeing a head smashed into bits was like the what the fuck like the most fucked up thing in the entire world but now you can like, you know, it was already 10 years ago that True Blood was showing like a hate fucking scene where like a vampire is like twisting the bitch's head around like 180 degrees before he fucking super fucks her or whatever. Right. Um, you have you have the you have the like uh, for me, I, I even remember the first time I ever saw Goodfellas. Obviously not. I was born the year it came out, but so much later. But I saw the uh, like the, the Ray Liotta butt of the gun. To the guy's face which is one of still one of my favorite scenes of any movie i've ever seen but oh, like yeah. you know hey what's up asshole oh, that is just the <laughs> best dude <laughs> yeah but that, that jarred me like, that jarred me i was like the but yeah. the sound is like oh my god like oh you know how fucked up you would be after getting hit like that but um like, it's just yeah. such a great scene because it's just like like it's just something all guys have wanted to do at a certain oh. point oh you know? over just your girl like, too that is how you fucking handle shit like 
Oh. Like that guy is never gonna wink at your girlfriend again. So, he's gonna move. He's literally gonna sell his house and move. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're done. Really like it's amazing. like it's like if you were in the old west and you killed a guy's, burned his crops and killed his livestock. You're like, well, what are you gonna do now? Like you're gonna stay here? Yeah, you're, yeah. Gonna, yeah you're gonna do it. Like you're, that's a, that's the epitome of like what that was. Um, but then like you know, so you have the movies like Joe. You have the Death Wishes. You have um. Dirty Harry, which is another one I'm really glad that that uh, Quentin Tarantino gave some time to because I'm, I'm a Clint Eastwood super fan. I don't I wouldn't say Clint Eastwood's my favorite director or even actor, but he's probably my favorite person in film because I just Movie find him. Style. Yeah, I just I just find I just find him just like Michael Crichton's not my favorite writer ever. I find him to be the most interesting writer. Like it's just two different things. And uh, but I love uh, Eastwood. I've read his biography and stuff. It's it, it, he's just he's just like a, a quintessential alpha, you know, and and like and but very stoic uh eastwood was very scorned by like never quite getting the james dean treatment of like the kind of hot guy in hollywood everyone told him he was too ugly he looked too which old. is like crazy because he looks great in all these fucking movies awesome and women loved him he he had like he had like nine wives and like a hundred kids like he was just like fucking constantly the entire time he had a spreadsheet and there were a lot of, of movie yeah. stars were different back then dude like there weren't now every movie star is like a genetic genetically gifted like Mm -hmm. ultra beauty right but back then like there was gene hackman Mm -hmm. there was dustin hoffman who i guess is sort of handsome and like jack nicholson even 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 jack nicholson jack nicholson's fugly looking yeah um Mm -hmm. so like i think compared to those guys i think jack nicholson is i mean sorry i think clint is obviously Mm -hmm. like really good looking yeah but, yeah, um, but he, was on, he was on he was on rawhide he was on a show called rawhide for the longest time it was kind of just an old like bonanza e western kind of show and he wanted to direct a few episodes they let him direct some of the promo commercials but he wasn't allowed to spread his wings and he was under one of those insane tv contracts where they're like we'll give you twenty thousand dollars for 80 years of service you know like one of those like <laughs> insane like tv deals like back then when you thought when movies were like there was only like seven people that could be in movies so you were just kind of fucked and uh so he, he uh was under that and he learned under a guy named don siegel uh who was a very very the accomplished best. good one like just amazing director i mean escape from alcatraz and, and all the work they did together is just so good um uh i believe the beguiled is another movie the beguiled they did is amazing amazing rape fantasy uh colonial rape fantasy witchcraft porn amazing yeah, uh, the most disappointing film experience I had over the last 10 years was Sofia Coppola's remake of The Beguiled. I won't even watch it. I won't do it. Yeah, I won't do it. I don't I I won't I won't do it. But anyways, the um but Dirty Harry was another one of those like reactionary movies and like if you ever go back and watch Dirty Harry, like it's fucking dark as shit, dude. Like, if oh you yeah, actually, I just like, watched it like a month ago. Oh, it's so good. I mean, it's so good. And I Tarantino pisses me off, and I, and this is actually the common sentiment amongst a lot of people because he hates Magnum Force, and I actually love Magnum Force. Um, I, I I'm a huge Magnum Force fan. I I um I don't know. I I kind of love the whole like I love the trajectory between and Tarantino hates this trajectory of like like we just allow vigilant we just allow serial killers to go crazy because of the bureaucracy and nobody really wants to do anything in the first one and then also in the second one it's like nobody wants to do anything because they're part of the problem i like that trajectory in in the two but the i love uh i love the fact that that he salutes clint eastwood who like himself learned how to do everything just by being a student just by being there you know clint eastwood just watched don siegel and he was like that looks fucking cool 
you know, like what he's doing. That sounds cool. And I get to be in charge. I don't have some asshole that like, I mean, I have people working for me and Clint Eastwood would do this thing where he would, he didn't really like working with stars. If you work with Clint Eastwood as an old man, finally started working with DiCaprio and then DiCaprio said he sucked. And then he was like, no, you suck. Actually. Well, they made, like, they I, made, um, I think, Hoover, I think DiCaprio yeah. was bummed out by the Hoover movie. Yeah. Well, and he, and he, when DiCaprio, Clint Eastwood is a, a volume shooter, a quantity guy. Clint Eastwood is, is I need to have my movie a year, a movie a year until I die, which could be 150 at this point. He's doing, he's literally doing a movie right now um, at 94, I think. Um, and he, uh, DiCaprio wanted to do, he's one of those, give me 97 takes to get this right, please. And then yeah. Eastwood's like, no, nah, that was cool. What you just did was cool. So I was, yeah. and then that coupled with the movie not doing that well, you you can you can see that. But he didn't like stars because he'd like, dude, give me you know, give me this B list actor from this TV, this TV actor. I'll make I have a good story. You know, I have a good story. I have a good writer. He had his Malpaso group and stuff. And I think Tarantino, Tarantino just basically I think took a lot of what Eastwood you know that all writer you know at least the control workhorse. overall yeah the workhorse but then also it was like but tarantino realized i can work with stars though you know yeah. like i can work with the stars like and and i think he's just a bit less of a kind of standoffish sigma male kind of guy that that clint eastwood uh no, would be yeah. but but tarantino was crazy definitely a ham you know yeah yeah he's he's down to play the game he's down to play the game the the he'll butter up a star and then shit on he can do all that it's there, there's no problem with that but you know with these movies then you know up until about 70 up until jaws right then jaws changes the way everything uh, movies were essentially watched right it was like i think tarantino points that timeline out perfectly because i didn't actually put two and two together there that you had these you know it was a battle like a culture war between like this generation versus this generation about who's ruining america and then also in jaws comes out it's like actually a shark's ruining everything you know and actually well, <laughs> actually yeah, actually but, um, this is crazy you know like uh, it just yeah but i, I like the point that he fucking makes because of yes of course like jaws did of course change the studio system a little bit a lot of it. It was mm-hmm. it was two things. It was the success of Jaws and the failures of Michael Cimino's uh, Heaven's Gate, was, right? Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. which which bankrupted United Artists uh, Studio and True. forced studios to be a bit um, stingier with money. But um, but still, like, and I think the book really captures this well. And he, he says, he makes the point that, like, even though Jaws was made to be seen by mass audience, it still feels like a highly personal project mm-hmm. where Spielberg is obviously, you know, willing his vision onto the celluloid without any compromise. So it still is a product of the new Hollywood. And what Tarantino really captures about that, that fucking era is that for the weird it was it was weird also but for a brief window of fucking time the studio system of the 50s was sort of starting to fail mm-hmm. they couldn't keep up with these generational shifts the hippies and rock and roll came out of fucking nowhere and they had to change their thinking so what happened was for a little while the fucking avant-garde nerdy freaks got to run the fucking show um, and it was glorious for a brief window of time. Hollywood film was an avant-garde modernist yeah. industry. 
at the forefront of fucking everything. And for like 12 years, they put out so many fucking movies. They lost money. They made money. Stars were made. Stars failed. And then it was basically all over by the 80s when studios were like, maybe it's a bad idea to give a alcoholic uh, film student $50 million to do whatever he wants without any of our discretion. Maybe we should start being a little stingier with our money. But I think what I liked about the book the most is it really kind of captures this time capsule of like, of, of, of a mainstream industry that for a brief amount of time was very sort of experimental. Yeah, because the reason I bring up the Jaws thing is because right after Jaws, not right after, but within two to, what, two to three years, you have Star Wars that comes out. Yeah, and, that, and then Star that, Wars that, is like shut that, down. That nuked everything, right? I, I think that that's what nukes everything because w- the movie that came out, I think two weeks after Star Wars was, and I know you love this movie, it's one of my, it's probably top five of all time for me, was Sorcerer, William Friedkin's Sorcerer. That was one of the biggest bombs, one of the biggest bombs at the box office ever. But if you watch it, oh my God, like it's it's like one of the best, I can watch it a million times on a loop if I had to. It's so good. It's so good. um, Mm -hmm. But it is a very alienating film. So you can also kind of see how it, if, if, um, if, if the world is going like one way, you know, mm-hmm. did you watch the Arnold documentary? No, my wife said she loved it. She watched it when I was at work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I need to watch yeah, it. Parts one and two are phenomenal. And of course I'm like an Arnold super fan. So it's cool. Mm-hmm. But Arnold is talking about how the success of his movies and eighties action movies and these things were contingent upon the fact that like Reagan had gotten elected. There was this new sort of renewed faith in the American system People were making money hand over fucking fist. All this sort of like fuck the system shit was starting to feel a little um, old fashioned already. So, you know, Sorcerer, as great as it is, I mean, it already, okay, here's like two things that it did wrong. First of all, the name. Yeah. Horrible name for that, for that film. Because if you're seeing Sorcerer, you're like, oh shit, a fucking wizard movie? By the guy yeah. who made The Exorcist, I'm definitely gonna fucking see that shit. Good point with The Exorcist. It. That's a good po- good point about The yeah, Exorcist being yeah. being the way being the reason people heard about it probably. Mm-hmm. Of course, and um and freaking you know had a couple monster hits, but uh but then you see it and it's about these four fucking convicts trying to drive you know like explosives you know through this treacherous jungle. I mean, it's an amazing setup for a fucking movie and like incredibly tense, but um, that's just a failure of marketing. You know, sometimes these things just fucking happen. A lot of great things don't get their due in their time. Yeah, and you brought up something interesting about um, about the like Reagan and just the economic times. Seventies largely was a huge recession. You had the gas shortages, a lot of stuff you see today. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the as much of <laughs> the seventies art that's uh, that's that's Water out there right now. Shortages in L.A. Yeah, all that stuff. We unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, we don't have any. And but like, I was also, you know, I've been reading for for Gain of Fiction, been doing a lot of Dostoevsky. And I, I, one thing Tarantino brought up was that how so much, so much of the seventies, cause people wanted that gritty kind of self hate 
kind of mad at the world feeling. Uh, uh, so many people are trying to a- adapt Dostoevsky like in the seventies. Like, <laughs> like the, I mean, the movie that which is a uh, to say adaptation might be might not be uh might not be so good but it is it is an adaptation is uh the gambler carol rice is the gambler um which is with james con which is i think the best gambling movie ever um yeah but like that that movie was you can barely even buy a blu-ray of that right now like people don't that hasn't even resurfaced yet but the but for a while i think i uh i think it was de palma was supposed to do a gambler in the seventies, which that would have been interesting. I don't, I don't know that I would have loved it as much, even though I love De Palma, but there's rumors that Paul Schrader, I, I, I'm going literally about to read notes from the underground for the first time. So I, I'll decide oh, I this for myself, but it, apparently that's supposed to be the Max Katie character from, from, from a uh, taxi driver. Apparently and that's what he said in the, in the Tarantino said that in the book, that was like kind of a lunch meeting that happened where they were basically saying for Paul, you know, Paul Schrader, everybody has their Paul Schrader opinion. Paul Schrader wanted the pimp to be black, as you said, in, uh, in taxi driver. He was, he definitely wanted to make that movie a little bit more, uh, uh honest, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, of, which is yeah. crazy. Cause he was definitely like, obviously more edgy, um, back then. Now he's, I don't know. He pisses me off all the time. Now. I know everybody hates him. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't love him. I don't have a huge opinion, but like people, I, I know like you've said some things. Jack says some things about him. I, I, I agree with what Tarantino Tarantino's probably his harshest criticism is of Paul Schrader in this book, I would say. And it's honest. Yeah. I wouldn't even say harsh, but it's if you were to if you were to just, you know, keep a score, I guess, of love versus not love. Schrader gets the most not love. But I think all of it's right in a sense where he's saying like hardcore falls apart. Everyone says that it's a great premise for a movie. It falls apart and it turns into a really weird like chase thing and the climax is way too early way too early halfway in yeah and and that's the problem when you let paul schrader direct something versus just write something you know because absolutely he's he can't pace he can't pace pace. he's not a filmmaker he's a writer and even his best fucking movies like and that's why i get kind of fed up with him because there's been a total like paul schrader meme since um uh first reformed came out so I remember like being excited to see First Reformed and then just <laughs> it was actually one of uh, Michelle and I's early dates. Um, <laughs> and at that point, she kind of loved everything that I showed her. Like we watched all of Twin Peaks and The Sopranos together. Cool. She was very much enjoying like entering my world. And then I take her. I'm like, oh, this guy, Paul Schrader, he made this American Gigolo. He's got a new movie out about this crazy priest. And then we see it. And uh, she left the theater with this, like, really pissed off look on her face. And I was like, what's wrong? She's like, I fucking hated that movie. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking hated it, too. Like, it's just awful, like, feel bad to feel bad. Him trying to recreate the glory of Taxi Driver. But, like, with with the whole climate change angle, it's just so fucking dumb. Like... I don't know. It just didn't make sense. Like it, it's a movie that seems like it's supposed to be about a guy, you know, like losing himself to reactionary sentiment. Instead, he's just like getting blackmailed on climate change. <laughs> and after that, <laughs> after that, he's just been putting out endless piece of mediocre tr- trash after the next. The fucking card counter. You mentioned The Gambler is the best gambling movie ever. I would say The Card Counter is one of the worst. 
Mm-hmm. The card counter dick teases you the entire fucking movie about a torture sequence because the guy is a Abu Ghraib torturer. So you're waiting the whole movie for him and his training officer played by Willem Dafoe to, to torture each other. What does he do? He fucking fades to black and the whole thing happens off screen, which is like he tries to make it already, but it just seems like he ran out of money. And then the new one is about a reformed Nazi with Joel Egerton. It also sucks ass. So I watched all these fucking movies and I always watch them. Like, I don't know why, but I just feel compelled to like keep building my case against Paul. Because oh, everything's content now, Adam. Everything's content now. So you yeah, can't, of course, why, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. You know what my you know what my wife and I's first date was? We've been together for a long ass time. My my our first date was Burn After Reading in in theaters. Oh wow, uh, that's a, yeah. I, you guys have been together a long time. I was young, and I like I love the Coens Brothers. I I still do. I I will defend them over everything. I didn't really like that movie that much. I need to re. I haven't seen it since. So I don't. Oh have to yeah, it's not it. their best. I don't think they really. I think a lot of their later career movies are pretty bad. Yeah, I, bad, I didn't like. The, just like, I didn't. Yeah, the musical one's not very good either. I didn't like that western little Buster Scruggs. I didn't care for oh, that. Oh God, the, no! Oh yeah. God, that's just like that's just like a that's just Netflix like trash. People love them though. Um, people love those movies. Like I'm like people tell me they're great, and I'm like, dude, I love the Coen Brothers. I love them. Like I, I but I just yeah, but then I, like I, the good ones mm-hmm. that like there's also really good Coen Brothers movies that aren't appreciated at all. Like. The Man from Another Place with Billy Bob. Uh-huh. That's uh, a good one. Is that what that movie's called? I've, I, I know which one you're talking about. I, I like A Serious Man a lot. I think that one doesn't get yeah, a lot I like of... A, I think that was actually the last great one. Yeah, that was a, a good one. Um, no, I, they I split like up. The Coen brothers are working mm-hmm. individually now. Yeah, because what they did... One of them... Did, Joel, was it Joel that did the Macbeth with... Uh, yeah, um, Joel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that was uh, that was good i liked them i liked them i liked so. it i mean i liked denzel and i like seeing him do max best so. exactly exactly so that um with with other things in the in in the book I, I i think it's very fun to talk about how like his black friend that showed him all the cool movies and and i love how his black friend his top five actors were still all white guys too like they were yeah. all white <laughs> they were, well, there weren't <laughs> many uh you know there weren't a ton of black movie stars yet no know? no and, and besides like, the black exploitation guys and like sydney body yeah and he would he would just say like he'd be like those guys are cool but you know the, like this, these guys are, are better and that gave like tarantino that kind of objectivist kind of i think like that kind of just yeah, that's why I love Tarantino because he, he's just objective. But one thing I noticed too is like, you know, what do you think Tarantino thinks of like David Lynch and shit like that? I, I is that even something he even explores? Do you think he's never said? But I'm sure there's mutual respect there, right? Because uh, if you think about what he says, I, is like it's like he doesn't really get to, like because Tarantino when when he's critiquing something, he is a plot man. That man is plot, plot, plot. It's got to it's got to have pacing and it's got to have plot and what what are you going to say about a fucking David Lynch movie? You're not going to, you're really not going to factor in those two, those two yeah. things at you all. Know, if, come to think of it. I do think I've heard him talk favorably about blue velvet. Oh, that's cool. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I don't think he mentions it, see. but David. um, yeah, just type in David, type in David. Cause I wonder what he thinks of these art, like these, like, you know, the classic, like art film directors. Like I just, well, I just he's wonder. a big Godard fan. I know that. Like huge Godard fan. Oh, the no. five directors Tarantino hates. That's the first thing that came up. This isn't good. This isn't going to be good. Oh no! Ho- hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> David Lynch. Jesus. 
when David wow. Lin- okay well, all right let's see if this is really what's happening because this is in um far out magazine yeah. never heard of it um, um, yeah t- oh far t- out is like the like the king I get sent there clickbait all the fucking time okay so this could be this couldn't this might not be at what we're saying so um yeah david well david when david lynch took his surrealism to new heights with twin peaks fire walk with me in 1992 he divided audiences tarantino was firmly in the camp that he that hated his david bowie fronted epic it was not a david bowie fronted movie he's uh, in it for like five seconds with a southern oh. with a southern accent yeah <laughs> and uh, it, it, it prompted him to comment david lynch has disappeared so far up his own ass i have no desire to see a david lynch movie until i hear something different jesus um but okay, that's so that makes sense so he liked blue velvet but yeah gave up on david lynch after fire <laughs> and then of course lynch is such a lynch is such a like uh, like in his persona his real life persona that he chooses to show everyone is so aw shucks golly kind of thing he said i loved once yeah. upon a time in hollywood it's so cool you know, like yeah, so he just he didn't I mean, care. He doesn't he doesn't give a fuck. Once upon a time in a Hollywood is a masterpiece, and still I did love not, it. Man, oh man! Like I loved it the first time I watched it. I loved it more with every single watch. And it's maybe it's just because it came out the year before COVID and whatnot, but it really hasn't gotten the the post release praise that it deserves because it is. Um, He's made two infallible masterpieces, in my opinion. Pulp Fiction, which is the film of a young director, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is the film of a ruminative director looking back on everything. Mm -hmm. And just like, to me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood felt like the ultimate cherry on his work, because all his work is about the, the construct of Hollywood. So this movie is literally like a theory fiction in which he explores this fictional construction of a Hollywood myth in which this has-been TV actor kills the Manson family, saves, well, no one will ever know this, but inadvertently saves Sharon Tate, and we have to assume becomes a Hollywood fucking legend in the aftermath. Like, Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant, touching, amazingly acted. The movie has this sort of, like, breezy quality to it Polanski, it, it reminds me it reminds watch. me of it reminds me a lot cinematography wise like in certain just the way he films margot robbie and like the way he like sees margot robbie a lot of like from behind with her hair shots and stuff like that and that yeah. just reminds me of and, it, and this is going to sound weird because it's not the same movie but i know he loves polanski so it's like it reminds me of like repulsion when she's just walking through the streets in, oh yeah um, and i'm sure that's conscious too because polanski's in the fucking movie exactly it's about, exactly it's about his luck, you know i i think there's so many oats to polanski there and, and i and like that movie i hadn't really gone down the polanski rabbit hole when i saw the first time i saw once upon a time in hollywood because that was when i saw once upon a time in hollywood that was when i was kind of just like scorsese tarantino those are like the goats and i i still love them i haven't loved them any less but i just i just i found other things that stick to me a little bit more but the you know then when i went down the polanski rabbit hole and my wife said the same thing and she's just like this is like totally like tarantino like just a lot of these you know even the tenant like just some of these the way the way he chooses to like show people it just that movie i yeah. think was such an ode and well, it's not corny right it's not corny in a way like where you see somebody doing nostalgia where if you ask somebody who's from that time period that they're calling back to like my mom hates like cheap 80s nostalgia right like where it's everybody's wearing cindy Lauper clothes and fucking <laughs> shit like that like she's like that's not how people dress that was like how like four kids right. dressed at school she would say right. that but like 
Tarantino was like, no, this is what it looked like because I was there, you know? <laughs> right. And, and that, well, also like the way he depicts LA in that movie is very specific and also, you know, reminiscent of Chinatown because it's not like the beach. You're not seeing yeah. Venice Beach. You're seeing mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard. You're seeing the Hollywood Strip. You're seeing the hills. So like, you know, it, it captures like LA is just like this kind of matrix of, of dreams. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's like if it's like if Polanski directed Rolling Thunder. That's like how the movie yes. goes. <laughs> and the chapter on Rolling Thunder fucking rules too. Oh, the best! How he calls the director was it John Flynn? Is that his name? Um, uh, John Flynn. John Flynn. He calls every John Flynn in the in the in the phone book uh, in the phone book for L.A. It, he said it took him almost twenty times. Finally, gets the guy and he says, "Hey, can I have an hour of your time?" Which, as a podcaster, <laughs> so true. That's how it works uh, when you when you shoot above your weight class. Uh, you punch above your weight class. It's exactly how it is. But you find he goes there and he talks his head off. It ended up going forever. He loses all the audio of it because he didn't have, bring enough tape because he thought he was only going to have an hour. But it's it's wonderful. He nails the movie. I hadn't even seen the movie yet until yeah, until that until that and i i immediately i hadn't finished the book yet and i was like i told my wife we have to watch this tonight and she's such a she loves uh, she's down to watch whatever she's totally submitted to like my taste in movies so she just is like put on whatever you want like you know and she usually loves it we loved it her parents hadn't seen it and they're they're reading the book as well both of them they they saw it and they're like unbelievable how did i not see this in the 70s and uh, jack um from the perfume nationals podcast just did a uh, episode on yeah, that yeah, um so 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 I, I i i won't go super far into the movie because i don't want to you know just say the same thing because he, he 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 got it right it's exactly what it what happened yeah. everything he said was true also, about it paul schrader's script um, that yeah that's right and again paul schrader he can write should just yeah uh, no know. and and it's and it's interesting because uh paul schrader was a disciple of pauline kale uh mm. film critic right and Who, tarantino's she, doing something on her isn't he isn't his yeah yeah he's doing a movie about a film critic and since he's a huge kale worshiper people are assuming it's based on pauline kale but um pauline kale you know she got his scripts read and so he did he did a trilogy basically a revenge trilogy uh taxi driver rolling thunder and this movie Yakuza, I believe, which uh-huh. is like impossible to fucking find. I've it's on. It's on streaming. It's on. It's on streaming. Uh, I I, I didn't watch it. It's somewhere. I'll I'll, I'll find it because I was going to watch it the other night. And I just didn't get around to it. I, I saw yeah, it. I think I'll put that on soon. So like, okay. you know, obviously the guy knew he has an imagination, but Pauline Kael, um, when American Gigolo came out. And this is, I, I almost, I was trying to say this before, like Schrader, even his best movies, like now that I've watched all his new ones and hated all of them, I'm just like going back and watching the mm-hmm. old ones and even movies of his that I thought I loved, like Mishima and American Gigolo, which I would say are the two best. They're still very flawed films, almost, and disjointed. They have a weird flow. Um, mm-hmm. They almost feel like sloppy in a way. He really is uh, a screenwriter with dreams of becoming a director. But mm. it just shows you that there is like a specific skill set to a director, like control freakery, ability to manage people, uh, ability to direct actors, 
and ability to fucking edit. And I don't think Schrader has that. I think if he had just like kept focusing on scripts and let him be directed by, you know, Paul Schrader directed by Cronenberg, Paul Schrader directed by Paul, Mm -hmm. well, not, not Paul Thomas Anderson. He writes all his own shit, but you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, Then he would be a much more important figure as this sort of like legendary screenwriter. Sure. But I, um, I think, you know, Tarantino also says this in the book. None of his movies really work that well. He's, he's right. And he's, and he's right. Um, here's, uh, just real fast wrapping up this list. Uh, his other man, his other director, one of them's Hitchcock that he hates. We've already talked about that. That's whatever. I mean, everybody's got their weird thing that they hate, but, uh, John Luke Goddard, he hates him. Yeah, Goddard. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Goddard. Yeah, Tarantino yeah, yeah. Hates-, hates Goddard. That's fake. That's totally fake. Oh, let's see. Let's Good. see. I, there's a quote. There's a quote. I'll read the quote. Let's see. Let's see if we because this could be fake. You're right. Uh, that's one aspect of Godard I found liberating. Movies commenting on themselves um, and movie history. To me, Goddard did to movies what Bob Dylan did to music. They both revolutionized their forms. Blah. Okay, that sounds like a compliment. But uh, he says. <laughs> Um, however, typically in fresh, typically in French fashion, that didn't raise stock in Goddard's camp. I think his work is null. Uh, oh, oh, I see. They're saying Goddard doesn't like him, and uh, Goddard doesn't like uh, Tarantino. Um, he chose he chose the title of one of my worst films to name his production company. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, he dub- dubbing him as non authentic. Uh, so he's talking about Tarantino here. This may or may not have influenced Tarantino's reversal on his appreciation in return. And then he says, Tarantino, I'm not a, I'm not really a big fan of Jean-Luc Godard anymore. He said in an interview where he discusses his cinematic role models. I think Goddard is kind of like a kind of like Frank Frazetta. You get into him for a while and, and he's like your hero for a little bit. Then you start drawing shit like him and you out, you start drawing shit like him and you outgrow. That's what Goddard is, at least for me anyway, as a filmmaker, he's, he's being a hater right there. He's just, he's just, being yeah, a, he's just, yeah. but he, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's in the kind of first a interview he did on Brett Easton Ellis's podcast, it was just full blown Godard worship, like the entire fucking episode. But All it's right. fun. It, that's an in, that's an interesting thing on both their parts because what Godard is saying about Tarantino it absolutely applies to Godard. He's the original like collagist as narrative filmmaker, and um and uh. I don't know, but, but whatever. Yeah, that's still like a clickbaity article because like the, it, it the is, Godard it is. influence in Tarantino is like he clearly most, likes him. Yeah, as, he clearly like, likes good, him. Yeah, Godard isn't just like a a, a a signifier that he adopts like he does with black exploitation or westerns or whatever. Like the the approach of Godard, which is to sort of kink uh, pre existing film language is Tarantino's approach. So it's like the defining influence in his goddamn work. It would be like me saying, I don't like JG Ballard after naming right. my entire fucking project. After his <laughs> That's true. <laughs> At least it would be his best book. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Not his work. Not a Ballard wouldn't, I hope wouldn't call cra- uh, cr- anything crash related his worst. Uh, hopefully. Cause I, uh-huh. I've, I think it's his best, but uh, the, uh, uh, another one's John Ford. Um, I don't. I, I know he's an old Western kind of director. I, it's yeah, tough but for he's. Me to, I mean, he's a master. He is. Yeah, cool. and Leon. Uh, I, I think it's. 
Yeah, they're basically saying Tarantino just thinks Sergio Leone wipes the floor with John Ford, which I I would imagine there's probably Leone probably looked up to him because that (laughs) to John Ford, there's no way because Leone even said this is a weird Sergio Leone quote who I love. I love Sergio Leone. But um, when I was younger, I believed in three things, Marxism, the redemptive power of cinema and dynamite. Now I just believe in dynamite. And uh, <laughs> so it's which is actually kind of based when you think about it. Yeah. But, uh, and I think what Tarantino probably means, because I think like, honestly, for me, I tried watching Stagecoach once. Mm-hmm. John Ford with John Wayne. Yeah. And it is kind of right. a slog to watch now. Like, it's like, these, yeah, like, action movies without any like. It's very hard for like someone who's, you know, grown up on slasher films and whatever. And like the Sopranos love right. violence and. Yeah, I just read that. Louis Lamour's Hondo. I read Louis Lamour's Hondo. Just, I'm doing that was my next book, and it's like I actually enjoyed it. But there were times where I'm like, oh my god, like when does this girl get raped or something on the frontier by a bunch of Apache, <laughs> by a bunch of Apaches, and it just doesn't happen. And I'm just like, well, yeah, because yeah. he's mean, he's trying to sell this to like people at church and shit. Like it's like yeah. you know, like like so like, like you know, I think yeah. what he I think what he means is that Sergio Leone got to up the ante a little. Oh bit sure, and like oh yeah, like what he was able to show, even though we. PG, but they're certainly more violent than a hundred percent a hundred percent his last one is west his last one is west craven um which that i don't know i guess i guess that i i don't have a strong opinion on west craven but uh it says tarantino's love of blood gore and violence is well known so with that in mind you can maybe predict his problem with slasher classic scream it was bloody gory or violent it was bloody gory or violent enough i could have imagined doing the first scream tarantino told vulture the Weinstein's were trying to get Robert Rodriguez to do it. I don't think they ever thought I'd be interested. Oh, so he's. Uh, this sounds like another jealous kind of thing, where he sh- he thinks yeah. he should have got a certain project. I, I mean, whatever. That's fine. I, we all we all we've all been there. Um, we've all we've all been there. But uh, in closing, um, with this, Adam, can you guess my favorite uh, um, Tarantino movie? Guess your favorite. It's not Pulp Fiction. I mean, I, I it's up there, but it's not Pulp Fiction actually. All right, so you, I feel like you're the type who's going to have your, like, singular lane. But you still want to go back to the OG, maybe Jackie Brown? No, I do love Jackie Brown. I mean, I love all his movies. It's, I like his most Reddit movie, actually. Inglorious Bastards. Bastards. I fucking nice. love Inglorious Bastards. I people. I, I understand because now Nazi punching is like just the most libtarded. Like it. It, it is yeah. basically you could you could watch that movie. I get it. But at the time when it came out, my dad took me in the theater. And when you play David Bowie Cat people, when you're burning down the fucking Lenny Reifenstahl theater, dude. Oh my god, I was so yeah. in on all that. The Christoph Waltz uh, opening scene where they're under the floorboards. I loved it all. I loved it so me much. Me too. I, I love that movie. I, yeah, I, I just I that's the one I go back to the most because it's just it's fun. It's just I love Fassbender or uh, Fassbender, whatever that guy's name is, Michael Fassbender. In Michael it. Fassbender, um, who's going to yeah. have a huge comeback this year. Is he? We yeah, need he's him. He's the star in um, Fincher's new movie, The Killer, that's coming out, uh, starring Michael Fassbender. It's already getting a lot of buzz. I I thought Michael Fassbender was the best actor period to come out of the early 2010s amazing but that motherfucker has a disastrous agent and after after like i would say 2015 when he got all the accolades for playing like the super slaver in 12 years a slave which is not a movie i like but he's still very good in it Mm. um he just had like one 
bad fucking movie after the next. And it's like, who the fuck is forcing him to do these fucking scripts? It made me, it made, I remember watching like this one called like the Iceman or the Snowman or something. And it made me go like, this motherfucker needs his own Ari Gold. Like, you know, he needs (laughs) his own, like, like, like Eric, like in, in Ari Gold, like getting him some better shit to work with. Oh, I know. I loved but, him. Wasn't because yeah, wasn't exactly. he? Uh, wasn't back. wasn't he Carl Jung in that in that Cronenberg movie? Uh, yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he was really uh, good in that. So good. Not Tarantino's I, best movie, but a little better than most people think it is. I mean, not Cronenberg's best movie, but um, but that's no, not due to his or Vigo's fault. It's due to Kieran Knightley's like horrible performance. With her jaw, her weird fucking jaw, dude. Oh my god! No, you're right. I I, I love that. I love that movie though. I still I still really enjoy it. But he, the uh, yeah, he, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but Michael Fassbender. I remember just thinking like, Jesus Christ, this guy's got it all. He's absolutely fucking a beauty. Beauty. And like, can project so much uh, menace and anxiety. Like, it's really rare to be able to be like that preposterously good looking but also to project all this sort of like weird energy on screen so i thought he was just such an amazing actor oh man like he's kind of like a like like if army hammer was actually like really really good you know like like, army hammer's fine but like i love army but yeah i i I love his off the camera work uh personally but i i I want to eat your skin i want to lick your fucking shit like (laughs) i love it dude no that shit's awesome but fassbender could play that role he could play army hammer's like if if all the army hammer accusations was real i hire michael fassbender to play him to do it it's like that's that's what i would did you see that hbo max put out like some like army hammer like horror documentary my mom told me to watch it like and then he was like fully exonerated like five days after (laughs) and then yeah it wasn't on the it wasn't on the the thumbnail of like watch now on hbo max anymore like it was like they moved it down they're like yeah you're fine you can skip this one if you want army (laughs) hammer took one for the fucking team though he did because like full-on if anyone's reaction to that was like, like these bitches are like this is fu- this is like a beautiful ultra rich movie star that could fuck anyone he wants. Literally, this is all fake. But still, there were a lot of people who were like reacting with rage against him. Now, like the last like three, like when Conor McGregor got Me Too last month, within two hours, people were calling bullshit. Yeah, like publicly and loudly. So community, community notes, man. We're doing community notes. We're yeah. Getting them. So I feel like Army really was like the final straw in the Me Too movement. So and, just, yeah. And then Johnny, and then Johnny Depp. Exactly. So all that stuff. Um. Now, uh, so to wrap up here, give me um, the next time you come on, I, I I'm we're hoping to get your new novel. I, I, I would like to promote. Oh your new yeah. Novel. It's very close to being done. I just got back a couple edits today, actually. But and what are we talking about here? I, you don't have to say you know give too much information on it. What what what? I mean, are we? You know, you you write a lot of theory fiction. Is this more of a straightforward novel? Uh, this is definitely a straightforward novel with cool. like a front to back story. It's long. Um, it took me a, a long time to fucking write. I still feel kind of burnt out from it, to be honest, because I already got a, I got, I'm already on, com- I got commissioned like right when I finished it to write a, another book. 
for a new company for like more money than I've ever fucking made in my entire mm-hmm. life. So, um, but I'm having trouble getting it going because I hate that in-between phase when you're like finished with a project, but waiting for it to come out. Oh yeah. So whatever. I'm just focusing on, I'm just focusing on my fucking anabolic enhancements right here. Nice. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then, um, and get, you know, working out, taking some time to myself to relax, but yeah, the book is, um, it's a bit of a sort of similar in tone to like Bo is Afraid in a lot of ways because it's like okay, a cool. comic comic horror, but also becomes kind of like a touching morality play and also a love story. And it, it, it kind of shifts in tone wildly because when I first started writing it, I was like in my most like hateful zone. Mm-hmm hateful zone and like resentful and then um towards the end i i i don't know i think a lot of that sort of faded away so it becomes much more empathetic to the material anyways i'm really yeah. fucking proud of it and yeah, you should be and uh looking forward to it to it coming out. yeah i, I, know I can't wait like, I, are you going to la in september I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Um, I, 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 I'm hoping to get. I'll probably drive down there if, if so. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what's up with that. But I'm gonna. I'm. I definitely. It's on my. Uh, it's on my schedule. Hopefully. Hopefully, I can make it work. All right. Yeah. Because I'm supposed to go and like, and uh, and read some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. No. That's uh. That's cool. So. Um. Yeah. It's funny. I. I. You know. Researching a lot of authors doing the gain of fiction stuff that we do. I. I. I you know. I, I research everything. Crichton and the Crichton. Charlie Rose asked him, "What's the hardest part about writing?" He says, "Starting." He's like, yeah. "Fucking just." He goes, "I got ideas, ideas, ideas." He goes, "But committing to one and sitting down and then putting it on." Just he goes, "Once I get going, it's just fucking like it's not even me anymore. Like you know, I'm just it just flies out of me." But it's it's that. I mean, it's just like working out too. The first. The, fir- the hardest part of working out, I mean, you might not be struggling with this anymore, but the hardest part of working out is just going to the fucking place that you work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And going out yeah. for a run, putting on your shoes, going outside, and then taking the first fucking 10 steps, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's when you start banging, you know, start pinning a gram of test, and you'll just be like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else is hard, but not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, like exactly. I fucking run to the gym with like the biggest smile on my face now. Like you just learn to like love the pain. I remember there was an MTV True Life. I would love to rewatch this. There was a True Life. Like it was kind of like a My Strange Addiction, but it was MTV's True Life where it was like these three people that were addicted to the weirdest. And one guy was addicted to working out, but like not not even like not he wasn't jacked like he looked like like curtis yarvin like this guy and he and he, and he like but he would work he would sprint to the gym like at a random he'd be like eating dinner with his family and then like go run to the gym he would have his jeans on everything he would do like no joke like two reps and then leave like he was like oh, yeah. he was just a, he was addicted to like going to the gym <laughs> yeah that's just like that's retarded I thought it was just one of those things where he just like had shit genetics and just like never grew. But no, no, he was like, there are people like that, you know? Yeah. He was just the compulsive guy, but he was like, I, he would, he would then get like guilty when he was at the gym. He's like, well, I just left something important. So he'd go back. He would be constantly be in this like in between worlds mode. Just like OCD to the (laughs) It was so stupid. I got to find that's got to be on YouTube somewhere. It was so I've seen like, there's like horror stories that, you know, because there's so much like, um, anti, anabolic propaganda everywhere but yep um the ones they always use are like the 
horror stories of people that like jumped on a cycle like two months into their working out and then all that happens is they just like get the worst fucking side effects like zit all over their backs and lose all their hair and don't make any gains um <laughs> that shit always kind of blows my mind it'll like it'll show this like fucking skinny fat like bone thin little loser just like a back full of acne and no hair like flexing i'll be like holy shit but that's because people don't know what the fuck they are doing right it's it but but you know here's the thing like i i laugh uh I laugh because I know you're not an RFK guy. I'm, I'm, I only like a few things. Of, of some well, of I don't stuff hate that he the says. guy. No, but but I'm not even. That's not even where I'm going with this. I, what I mean is like I, I've, I've liked Children's Health Defense's site. I've liked that since like the fucking 2009. So it's mm-hmm. like anything that's that cool. dude does to get a more of a platform. I'm like, cool, sounds good to me. I, I don't, yeah, electorally, I don't give a fuck. Can't wait till he drops out. I'll, then he can interview. I can interview him. You know, like just shit like that. Yeah. But he, but he, but the funniest thing was what people would say to him. They'd go. RFK is uh is scared of needles um right cuz because of all his anti-vax stuff but he takes fucking growth hormone or whatever cuz he clearly does but like you know yeah, it's he's like probably he's probably on TRT <laughs> testosterone therapy lying one of them is one of those things the needles that you want him to take is completely lying to him about what it fucking does He's clearly knows exactly what testosterone or TRT, any of that stuff does for him. So it's like, uh, I'm pretty sure he knows what's going into his fucking body and he's fine with looking jacked at fucking 65. Yeah, he Dude, can't it's bend, so funny. It's okay. I was just yeah. watching, because I watch like a lot of um, bodybuilding and UFC content and they always talk about like the drugs and whatnot. So, but um, I was watching a video between current pro Nick Walker former mm-hmm. pro guy sister Nino and um, Seth Ferrosi, former pro. Um, and they were talking about the Vax because this got two, two bodybuilders in the last week have died. Uh, Gustavo. Bedell, yeah. What was that guy's name? What was that other guy? Um, the guy that you two, he was. Joe like Aesthetics. A sick guy yeah. Yeah. He was cool, dude. I like that guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Joe aesthetics was a lovely, lovely guy. Um, yeah, he competed in the men's physique division, like the board sports guys. But, mm-hmm. you know, when these guys die, you know, the first thing they always fucking blame is, of course, the drugs. And sure. in some cases, that's 100% true. Yeah. You know, like Andreas Munzer, this guy, you know, this European guy died in 94. <laughs> they found mm-hmm. the journal of his cycle and it was just like, yeah. especially the 90s guys, because they didn't really know oh, how to yeah. calibrate doses yet. Uh-huh. This guy was taking like fucking, I think it was like 1,600 milligrams of Tren a week and Savage. like 800 fucking milligrams worth of Winstrol tablets and diuretics year round because he made a lot of money doing magazines so he could never go over like 8% body fat. So in that case, yes, his liver fully fucking eroded. But with Joe Aesthetics and this guy yesterday, Gustavo Bedell, who um, he had a pretty good career he finished third at mr olympia behind ronnie and jake cutler in 2003 and um both these guys died of fucking blood clots which is like it's the number one thing yeah yeah like gustavo gustavo you know downsized you know he was probably taking trt as a maintenance dose but he wasn't like fully in his bodybuilding cycle anymore and joe aesthetics like 
you know, he's like a, he's like a growth hormone sort of like lean guy, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, not, not dumb, not like the type of guy who would just abuse every fucking thing in sight. So like, but all these guys were saying like, yeah, it's very clear to me that they died from the vaccine. That's why I didn't take it and I won't take it. I thought that was hilarious. Like these guys will fucking pin anything into their bloodstream except for the vaccine. Well, <laughs> and also and also like these guys understand. I mean, look, it, you might laugh like certain things. Like these guys understand how to be healthy. So they they're not Absolutely. like I mean some some of them understand. So like one thing is like this is how I get bigger, this is how I get stronger. Okay, great. But then say, you say actually I take we take this experimental shot and this is how you get healthy. They're like bullshit you know what i mean like i'm not gonna this i i didn't realize how young this fucking Aesthetics guy he's younger than me 30 when he, dude. 30 years 30. old you don't get blood clots at 30 that's not that's not a thing that happens to fucking ripped guys like it's just it just doesn't like i know it's i think it was an aneurysm but that's caused by a blood clot so it's like you 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 it's that that's not something that happens and it's like i look i get annoyed as a motherfucker when when literally anyone dies because i look i'm one of the the guys who like has been shouting that these deaths have been happening but to just say like this guy it was this guy hank you know the hank aaron 95 vaccine which there's something there but i but i I don't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. shouting that from the rooftops that a 95 year old guy died from the vaccine because there's a lot of other things that could have happened there's certain guys when they're fucking 30 when justin bieber half his face is fucking paralyzed for no reason people are like oh he's doing too much coke justin bieber would never do bad cocaine shit yeah yeah he would not have who gets fucking face paralyzed from cocaine (laughs) I have literally shot heroin. I've shot heroin and cocaine into my vein at the same time, and I'm in an elite physical condition. Like, that's fucking preposterous. Like, right. And his wife got the fucking shit too. The same thing. She has a little something going on too. It's like uh, the Bieber girl, uh, uh, the Baldwin girl. Haley, um, Haley Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, they both no, have. This it's shit like is crazy. Exactly. It's like, like, dude. Like, and I that. Like I, I don't. Again, like I said, I don't. I'm not. I'm not those like died suddenly people. Like those guys. The, those accounts are like they. They. There's a. There's a grift to be had in in here. But there's a way bigger grift on selling it to selling shitty fucking products to young healthy people. As yeah, as people life, love as life. just like, you know what a part of it is too, like um like say take Conor McGregor for instance. He put on he shattered his leg in 2021 fighting mm-hmm. Dustin Poirier. And yeah, he's probably holding about 15 pounds more mass because he definitely used test and growth hormone to heal. And everyone's screaming at him like on his Instagram, you're going to die, Connor. And it's like, look at him. Look at how the guy looks in a fucking suit. He is obviously more healthy than Mm 99.999% of American men of his age. So... You know, I always get so pissed off. Like people, the, the people who ask, like they they look at me and they ask if I take any shit, and I'll be, you know, I don't lie about it. Like I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, I experiment with some yeah. anabolics. They'll be like, isn't isn't that bad for your heart? And I'll be like, not as bad as you drinking fucking beer six nights a week, eating pizza every goddamn night, and smoking a pack a day. That, that's Fuck correct. Oh, it's like it's like the guy that the people that say like touching receipts right there's a bit that's a big like right wing bodybuilder thing there are chemicals and receipts that can get it that like the newspaper used to be the same way dude like there's all these there's these chemicals in there that are like you know microplastics all that stuff what did you buy to get the receipt you bought bullshit that's in your fucking bag you're eating that so unless you're yeah. buying like amazing 
quality food, don't worry about the receipt. That's always like my my thing with all the, with all that. So like, yeah, you're right. You'll be talking to some fucking guy who's just skinny, who's naturally fucking skinny, right? So he thinks he's healthy, you know, and, but he hasn't hasn't eaten anything that wasn't out of a fucking like you know wax paper uh, from a store, you know, in in over a year or, or since COVID or whatever. But they're they're now they're czars on health and stuff. And like I said, dude, like the testosterone, like would I take it? I don't I don't think it's for me. I'm actually trying to get skinnier, so uh, I w- it would be cool to be the inverse of you, to be the the guy that gets like fucking that shrink, like uh, well, like testosterone a, a, can act, it can boost the metabolism. Um, well, I might need that, but uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, no, no, it's not my my metabolism's okay. But well, uh, you know, John Jones when he got when he tested positive in the UFC, it mm-hmm. was he wasn't taking testosterone to get bigger. He was taking it because he was getting older and the cut was becoming more brutal. Uh-huh. So when he was like on his cut, his testosterone spiked to like nothing. He, he was like gonadal. So he took TRT to get, you know, just this is like for basic like quality of life shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the league used to allow this. The UFC used to allow TRT for fighters that were testing at gonadal levels. But ever since fucking USADA took over, they just banned everything that you can't get in a GNC. So, oh yeah, Aaron Aaron Rodgers the same way. Everybody wants Aaron Rodgers to take a shot now that he's in New York, especially going to Taylor Swift concerts. Everybody still can't deal with the fact that he they can't fucking deal with the fact that he still that he this this healthy man who never actually got sick uh, or you know sick to where you could laugh at him about it um, t- didn't want to take a shot. But I remember that everyone harkens back to this this game against Chicago a while back where he ruptured or I think it was a sprained MCL, which wasn't a tear but a sprained mcl while it happens pretty brutal so injury. fucking fu- especially when you have to when you have 300 pound guys ready to tear your head off and you have to kind of yeah. you have to you have to throw you throw with that it was his plant leg for throwing so and this is in cold chicago bear weather or green bay one of the two both are cold and he he so he got carted off the field he came back and he came back and beat the chicago bears and everybody's like damn they probably shot him up with a bunch of painkillers very true. That's exactly what they did. If you look at his post-game interview, he has Mickey Mouse fucking pupils, and he's like, yeah, my knee just really hurt, but I came back in and I fucking tore it up. Like, that felt and, amazing. Uh, yeah, and, and so they go, well, you'll do that, but you won't take a, a coronavirus vaccine. He's like, correct. That shit was awesome. Yeah, the fucking like, painkiller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, painkillers are super non-toxic if you're not like an addict for them, right? Like, and he saw the benefit of it right away. Like yeah. he saw the benefit yeah. for it right away. It, like, yeah, okay, that's if I took- the difference, right? Like if I take fucking test or Decker or whatever, like I know what the harmful side effects are, but I also know what the positive effects are. So I'm making a health, like I'm making a decision based on what I know about this compound and what I'm willing to risk. The yeah. whole thing with the COVID vax is I had no fucking idea what the risk was and the benefit yeah. wasn't there at all. And, and you shouldn't have had to. Why would you have had to know the 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 what's behind the curtain of this company that we give yeah. taxpayer money to to fuck it? That's my problem. Like, why do you have to listen to a f- weird esoteric podcast to find out that something's bad? Like, <laughs> like, why do you have to? Yeah. I'm not trying to run myself out of a market at all, but like at the same point, like, you do wh- why should you? Why should you have to? Why why should you have to go through one of the biggest censorship campaigns we've had since 9/11? Arguably worse, probably Absolutely. since more. Since more stuff's on the internet, you know, like now than than on around nine eleven, there's more stuff to censor. That why why should you have to go through all that for us to be proven exactly right? And like some people predicted, like a crazy you know Holocaust apocalypse level thing of death, and it's like, look, I don't, I don't, 
I, I, there is excess deaths. You can look at any chart. There are excess deaths. I just want those explained. I just, I just want those explained to me. Explain to me why. It's the same thing with the autism thing. Tell me why the autism's there then. Like, tell me, tell me why. It's, you can't just say genetics for everything. We can't just ascribe. We can't. Uh, uh, some people think genetics are everything. I, I don't. They're, they're definitely something. But people don't just become, didn't become retarded 30, you know, 33 to one rather than, you know, uh, 10,000 yeah, to one. Not, like there's it was. Like a spike in <laughs> autism yeah. genetics, right? Exactly. Which, be, yeah, exactly. If it's genetics, it, there would have to be like a similar percentage per population right. for in perpetuity. Absolutely. So it doesn't so, make any sense. You're right. So on that note, um, I'll probably, I'll probably have to pay well the last half hour of that because we're on YouTube now and you and we're trying to survive on YouTube. But for an hour and a half, you can hear us talk about Tarantino and wonderful things um, on there. Uh, but that was uh, that was really good, dude. Thank you. Um, uh, of course, bro. I, yeah, anytime. We'll have to do McGregor back wall with you, too, as well. Yeah, I, I, that would be fucking sick. Dude. We have He's to. We have to. Goddamn best we have to we 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 we, him and i have a huge blind spot for mma we had one mma episode with somebody i don't particularly care for um anymore uh yeah um uh, uh, people people know he's another weightlifter uh but uh but a uh, different he's a he's a fucking weightlifter not a bodybuilder a hundred percent yeah we need a bodybuilder fucking weight up over his head he doesn't know how to condition or harden so no shit. nah nah man you really your your new england just came out you said hiding it comes out every once in a while <laughs> comes out yeah. every once in a while now you're right on so uh safety propaganda if you don't know it i if you don't know it by now i don't know what to tell you um make sure i is that just safety propaganda substack.com is that the is that the uh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That the url make sure you go there follow adam on twitter if you can find him because i still can't even find him on the search thing <laughs> but <laughs> no my, my i can't personal. find myself Dude, it's hard. The fucking system of systems account. When I try to at myself, make sure I can be able to retweet the fucking system of systems yeah. tweet, I don't come up. My 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 Glenn one, which I only tweet sports from, like like I literally like once a week I tweet on that. If that I I that one is shadow banned. I'm like, why? Like not the one I fucking will just say whatever I want from is not shadow or maybe it is, but it, it definitely not to that level. It's still searchable, but I don't know, man. I look Elon. I, I got mixed feelings about him, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I, dude, I'm, that shit was a total fucking. I, it, and then of course it's a political argument now that you have to support. I know. Him, I feel like know, I can't yeah, even yeah, say yeah. this. Like everyone is going to yell at me. No, fuck no. I grew, I grew up. I grew up fucking in the valley that he made him famous, dude. He's always been a fucking fag, dude. I'm sorry. It's always been. It's just like, like, look, his product that he put down in the world stinks. This is his best one.